we have been uh, going through this transition process for oh, a little over nine months, or pushing nine months, a little over nine months. And um, as part of that process, we did a number of interviews, and one of the things we did was to take this assessment of the church, there were 30 individuals from the church that took this assessment, and uh, this is an assessment used for more than 20 years. Um, it's been used by thousands of churches worldwide. It's been used by churches small and large, from um, the Episcopal side of the spectrum to um, the Pentecostal side of the spectrum and everything in between. And I guess the Mennonite brethren are somewhere in between that. Well, when we got the results back, it, it rates the church according to eight um, indicators that um, can determine or do determine the health of the church. It um, looks at these eight, empowering leadership, having a gift-based ministry, having passionate spirituality and inspiring worship, having effective structures, what they call holistic small groups, need-oriented evangelism, and loving relationships. They rate us as the church on each of those eight levels. And what it does for us specifically is we look at the levels that tend to be at the bottom, and we focus to work on those things. Um, it's much like a, a wooden bucket that has the staves all around it, and you pour water into that bucket, but we know that the water will only rise as high as the shortest stave. It'll flow out. And so we look at those shorter staves as a church, and we want to raise those up um, so that we can fill the bucket um, and be the healthy church that I believe Jesus designed us to be and wants us to be. So anyway, um, I'm in process of writing a multi-page uh, assessment of the church with the help of the transition team, and um, we're going to address all of, those, all of those issues, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of heads up of what we are looking at, and I thought it would be good to look at two of those indicators uh, each Sunday for the next four Sundays, if I do my math correctly. Um, and tonight, or today, tonight, tonight, it's been a long day. Um, today, we are um, going to be look at our passion as a church. Um, a pa I think it was when we were coming back from Mount Rushmore a week or so ago, and we were driving, and Linda and I have all sorts of discussions when we drive, and Linda always asks me a a searching, difficult question that I really never know the answer to. Um, and she asked the question, um, what are you passionate about? Now, my first response was Legos. 
but I knew that wasn't a right response. And so in quietness for a long time, I tried to think, what am I passionate about? What, what um, toots my horn? What do I give my time and energy to? And I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. Um, I had a real hard time, a difficult time, deciding what am I really passionate about? Now, I know that there are some of you right now and saying, well, you know, Pastor Randall, Jesus is the answer. He's the one we are to be passionate about. And I agree wholeheartedly with you that Jesus should be our passion. And honestly, sometimes he is for me. I am passionate about him. And I'll be honest, there's sometimes that I'm not. Life just crowds around me. Things draw my attention away. I know this is not true for any of you, but it, it is for me. It draws my attention away, and my passions lie somewhere else. So I want to talk about passion today, and I want to talk about how worship flows out of that passion. I, I want us to understand that we can be passionate for God's word, and that is a good thing. But I think it's almost more important to be passionate about God. There are people who are passionate about God's word. They read it, they study it, they memorize it, and I know some of those people, and yet when I look at their lives, and when I hear their stories, I find that they are more passionate about this than they are about God himself. So I want to suggest today that passion needs to start with God. Our passion needs to be for that triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? How do we begin our passion for God? Is there some place that we can start? And I believe in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, we get the starting point of developing our passion for God. Jesus is asked, in, in this context, he's, asking, he's been asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is it that we are to focus our lives upon? Because we want to make sure that though there are some 300 or more uh, laws and commands in the Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, um, is there one that we should really focus upon? Is there one that we should be passionate about. And Jesus answers the question with this. He says that the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And some of the verses say, with all your strength. It was given, that command was given way back in Deuteronomy. And Jesus repeats it here and says, that is where our focus needs to be, is on the person of God, that we would give ourselves mentally and spiritually and physically to the worship 
of God, the loving of God. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and the second commandment is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not only do we read about what we are to be passionate about, we need to be passionate about loving God, but we also need to be passionate for the things of God. What does God want? And I think Jesus here in Matthew kind of sums it down. We are to love God and love our neighbors because loving your neighbors, loving the people around you, loving those who created in the image of God is what um, God's heart is all about. God so loved us that he sent his son. He loved us and he sent his son. He wanted to express his love toward us, his passion toward us. And I know God is passionate for us because all you have to do is read from the beginning of the Old Testament through the New Testament and you see how God's passion keeps coming back. And we have done throughout history everything in our power to turn away from God, to turn away from God's passion. But we see the passionateness of God in that he continues to come back to us. He continues to draw himself to us. He is passionate for us. And so we need to love God. That's where passion starts is loving God and loving what God loves, which is our neighbor. And it's interesting that this word love that Jesus uses is probably that strongest word for love that Greek, that the Greek language can put out, and that is agape, or um, that perfect self-sacrificing love for another person that always seeks out their best. Now, if we are going to be passionate about something, then there must be sacrifice involved. In order to be passionate about this, I can't do this. If I'm going to be um, passionate for Lego, then I can't be passionate, at least I shouldn't be, passionate for uh, jigsaw puzzles. That's Linda's passion, not mine. I can only do one thing. I'm kind of simple-minded in that regard. I focus on one thing. If, it, if it's sports, if it's uh, building, it's, um, we have to sacrifice something in order to learn to be passionate about something else. In Romans uh, chapter 12, familiar verse for those who have been in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, the wholeness of you, as a living sacrifice. If we are going to present ourselves to God, we do so as a sacrifice. There's something I need to give up. Jesus says if we are to follow him, we are to take up our cross, a symbol of, of death and suffering. If we are going to be passionate about God, 
Not only do we begin to love him more intensely and to love the things that God loves, but we need to be willing to give up other things. It's incredibly difficult to love God and to uh, love sin at the same time. It's incredibly difficult to spend time in God's word in order to grow passionate toward God, in order to get to know him when um, the television or the web browser is always open. If we're going to be passionate about God, there's things that we need to give up. Now, Passion is more than just an outward expression of love. It's it's not just an outward excitement. I'm passionate for my wife. And when we were dating, she lived two and a half hours or so north of me. And every opportunity I had, every day off, I would get in the car in my little 67 Carmen Ghia and head up the coast to Santa Barbara. And what drove me was my passion for, at that time, my girlfriend and then my fiance. Passionate. I was willing to give up something, to give up time for myself. That's what passion needs to do. It's not just about an outward excitement, it's about longing. The psalmist says in Psalm 63 that he thirsts for God, that he longs for God. He wants God as the very basis of his life, that thirst, that hunger, that longing, that God needs to be our focus. Passion doesn't always necessarily start overnight. You just don't wake up this morning and say, I'm going to be passionate for God. It's a good thing to say, but it's difficult to do. Passion passion takes time and energy. But the importance of passion is this. It will drive the rest of our life if we are passionate for God. If he fills us up, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our passion. He is what we long for, thirst for. The day is not complete if we're not walking with him. We are passionate. And all the things that we do in our lives, even those other seven healthy or indicators of a healthy church are driven by passion. If we are not passionate for God and the things of God, all those other things that are listed there will never reach their full potential. It must start in the heart of the believer. 
One of the things that come out of a heart of passion for God and the things of God is this thing we call worship. Now, it needs to be said that um, worship does not start or, yeah, start or end with a good worship team, though it's great to have a good worship team. Worship does not start when we sing the music that you like to sing, that you grew up with, that's part of our lives, and we had the new and the old today. Some of your hearts were uh, warmed intensely when we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, because you grew up with that. And for others, the choruses we sang on God is enough, His grace is enough, warmed the hearts of other people, because they've grown up with that song. But that's not worship. That's not where worship starts. Worship does not start with good prayers or good preaching. It doesn't continue with good fellowship after church. It, it starts in the heart. Worship is its best when it's born out of passion. Some of you came to worship today here because you get to see people that you missed during the week. Some of you come to be fed, maybe just with the donuts and the coffee, but you come to be fed. Hopefully you come to be fed by God's word. Some of you do come to sing and to give an outward expression of worship to God, of thanksgiving to God, but true worship is born in the heart of the individual. It's passion. It's waking up on a Sunday morning and say, there's no other place I would rather be than gathered with God's people, God's passionate ones, and expressing our love and our passion for God. True worship starts in the hearts of people. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus um, has his encounter with the woman at the well. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus is in Samaria, and he is hot and thirsty, and he sits down by a well, uh, Jacob's well, that has been there for uh, hundreds of years. And he meets a woman, and he has a conversation with her, kind of points out the uh, failings of her life. He gives her the truth, and she doesn't necessarily like what she hears, and so um, she kind of turns the, the subject away from herself to the concept of, of worship. Verse 19, and the woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
He's just told her what she's done with her life and how many husbands she's had, and the one she is with right now is not her husband. This is maybe common information inside that little town in Samaria, but this is a stranger, and he knows her, and she doesn't like what he has said, so she changes the subject, and I see that you are a prophet. She says in verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Just pointing that mountain in Samaria that they set up their place of worship. But you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem it is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. That is, salvation comes not from Abraham, or I should say the message of salvation comes through Abraham to through the Jews, and the Jews needed to um, express that message of salvation, but ultimately, the one to whom it comes through, Jesus, the Jew, is the one who's going to bring salvation. But the hour is coming, he says, verse 23, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. Again, I think she's turning the subject away. And when, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus teaches about worship. The first thing we learn from Jesus' words here is that worship is not about a place. Worship is not about the sanctuary of Bethesda. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. It's not about the mountaintop in Samaria. It's not about a place. And yet, many of us tie worship to God. There are places that we go that we feel that we can just worship better. We are drawn close to God. Um, Mount Hermon Christian Conference Center, where Linda and I met, is a special place for us. And we lived in the area, whenever we walked on the, the, um, the grounds of the conference center, we uh, were drawn back to special times with God. Mount Hermon for us is a holy place. We worship well there. But Jesus says it's not about Mount Hermon. It's not about the church that you grew up in or the place in the mountains that draws you closer to God. It's not some sacred space and it's not some religious experience. You could leave the church today, walk out, and people will say, how is worship? 
which usually answered in one of a couple of ways. One, the music was good. Ergo, worship was good. The preaching was good. The worship was good. If the, if the music's not good and the preaching's not good, then the worship service was not good. Heaven forgive us as somebody who sat down in your seat today, your spot in the pew, because you know that worship will not amount to anything if you're not sitting in your seat. Worship is not about some religious experience or some place. Jesus points out in this conversation with the woman that it is about a person. It is about God. Worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, those are easy words to roll off the tongue, but sometimes we have to ask the question, what in the world is Jesus talking about? How do we worship God in spirit? How do we worship him in the church? I think what he deals with spirit is that the spirit is, especially post-cross, when the church was formed, that spirit is what dwells within us. We worship from the inside. We worship from the passion of our heart. We worship not in the outward experience, but in the passion of our heart. And when he says about worshiping in truth, we remember that Jesus himself is the truth. So our worship is really bound up in relationship to Jesus. There are people who um, don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus, have not surrendered their life to Jesus, but there are some churches that they may um, come into and be moved by everything that takes place. The music was just tremendous, and the people friendly, and the pastor guy gave a short message. It was good worship, but was it? Can a person without a relationship with Jesus without a passion for God, really worship. It starts with Jesus. It's bound up in our relationship, our passion for him. And one of the marks of a healthy church will be, how is the passion of the people? Is God foremost in our lives? Are we willing to sacrifice all? Paul says that in the sacrificing of ourselves is spiritual worship, Romans 12. It's our rational worship is another way to translate that passage. It's spiritual, it's rational, it's what the believer does. But worship, true worship, inspiring worship, the worship that really lifts our soul is, has to start out of a heart of passion. And if you've got a church, no matter if it's a church of five or a church of 500 or a church of 5,000, if the people of that church have passion for Jesus, it will be an indicator of the deep health of the church. 
It will mark everything else we do. We need to be passionate. And passion will, out of passion will flow worship of the Spirit, in the Spirit, and worship in truth. All passion, all worship starts in the heart of God. I want to share with you um, something that um, was shared with me this week. I I want to encourage us that the passion we need to develop, that longing, that thirst for God, really starts in the heart of God. The New Testament writer says, we love because he first loved us. But in the Old Testament, in the final book of the Old Testament, Someone once told me that this, this book was the first Italian prophet. His name was Malachi. Made a great pasta. Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention to them and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name, who had passion for God. Verse 17. Yahweh responds, the creator of all things, They shall be mine, says Yahweh of hosts. In that day, when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. We are part of God's treasured possession. That's pretty amazing. That God does not just care for us, providing for our need, but he cares about us. So much so that he calls us and includes us as his treasured possession. God loves you. He is crazy about you. He is passionate for you. And the good news is that God said these things before the cross. We were, 
God held together his treasured possessions even for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. God looked at his creation. He looked at us and said, you are my treasured possession. I would invite you to, um, on this Sunday, this day that we would call our Sabbath, our time of rest, that you would rest on that today. That you would find some place, maybe a quiet space in your house, maybe a walk out in the field, maybe sitting by a lake, and rest with that you are God's treasured possession. He loves you. He's given all for you. Some would say, that is good news. And it's always good to end a sermon with good news. So, with passionate hearts, let us uh, approach the throne of grace that we may find mercy. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.